Welcome back to another Achieving Reality the Podcast, a day with Charles Green. This week we jump in Doc Brown's time machine and spend some time in California with Mr. Green and his superb acting career. Most of you listening to this may not realise just how often you have seen him on the telly. He's been all over. <laughs> Alrighty folks, you know what to do. Now sit back and enjoy another Achieving Reality the Podcast, a day with Charles Green. See you at the end! Where are you from? Um, well, let's see. I, I was born in Texas. Um, hey! Yeah, I um, moved around Texas quite a bit because my father was a troubleshooter for B.F. Goodrich stores. He was one of these guys that... Cool. Yeah, <laughs> if, if, if a store had, was having financial and... Um, personnel problems he'd be sent there to clean it up you know and then he'd ride off in the sunset a, a year later in the white hat and we'd move somewhere else so so yeah so so we're done here yeah we we're done here and so we would move like every year year and a half from oh my birth until age nine. Oh wow and for me as a kid oh that's fun I, my parents i don't know how you do it i mean moving is so stressful to me yeah. now like, <laughs> seven times and Five years. Oh, that's so. just insane. You know, so you know what I'm talking about. So when we landed in Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, I was nine years old at the time. My father was 50 years old. And he said, that's it. I'm tired of moving. And he took a local job there at, at, a, at a tire center. And uh, so I pretty much grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, went to McNeese State University there. And then um, I had a graduate assistantship to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville where I got my master's, and then I got my master of fine arts at University of New Orleans. In 79, I moved out to Los Angeles, where I was. For that's where he lost his accent. 20 years. Yeah, yeah, the interesting thing is both my parents had very strong accents. My mother was almost like a, was raised in New Orleans, so she had sort of a New Orleans accent. Did that Cajun accent? No, New, New Orleans. Orleans. New Orleans? Which is more, darling, where you at? Kind oh, of, yeah, yeah. Kind of yat, yat accents, they call it the Ninth Ward. And then my father was from Texas, so he had a, the Texas accent. So, But I knew from an early age that if I was going to do anything in theater, I had to get rid of the accent. So, That's one of the first things they, they train out of you, really. Yeah. They pound it out of you. Yes, yes. Because it, it, it does limit you. What was it about California? I mean, was it because you... Was there a role that you wanted to try for or you just wanted to get out of the city you know you wanted to change a whole different lifestyle go to California I mean was there a dream that you were following in California or was there an opportunity um well I I I got my master of fine arts at University of New Orleans and I my goal was actually was to probably be more of a writer than an actor the greatest waiter I could possibly be even though even though though I'd done oh I was well let me back up there I I was looking forward to doing both equally My MFA was actually in playwriting, so although I was in the repertory company of Orleans as well, so I kept up the acting side as well. Uh, but uh, no, I, I knew that as an actor, well, I knew in my little brain at age twenty, it's almost twenty-four. Um, it was either going to have to be New York or Los Angeles, and I didn't know anybody in New York City. I knew one person in Los Angeles, and that one person offered me a job to work with him. He was he was a costumer. 
or is a costumer. And so he said, sure, you, you can come, you know, crash at my place till you find a place and I'll, I'll put you to work because I need somebody to like be a gopher for me to go get fabrics and whatever. And that was a great experience because literally he rented me a car and said, here's a map, this is for GPS. He said, I need this, 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 at, the, at that store, that store, that store, go. So I instantly had to hit the ground running learning Los Angeles. I think so. that's an initiation right in Los Angeles. <laughs> I've heard a story from a lot of people, it's like a horrible segue, but speaking of gophers, Hello. now, I've been dying to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. 77, Fred Grandy bows out of a roll. Uh, yes. According to your IMDb. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. We talked about Love Boat on the very last episode. Oh, we? yeah, yeah. Actually, actually it was... We it list was, a bunch of people that are on it. It was 1980. 1980, okay. Yeah, it's like, it was like... Oh, now you're wrong. Well, that's not... You're fired. That's not unusual. Yeah, I, because I, I, land, I landed in Los Angeles on my 24th birthday, so that was July 2nd. And then the role you're talking about came up... It may have came up in, like, December to audition... Oh, but an interesting story about that. Interesting story about that. I was actually in a play that fall of 79, and in there, there was a woman who said, I'm auditioning for a film that a friend of mine's auditioning for. You two are the same type, but I think you're the better actor. And I know the cast director. I'm going to talk to the cast director and see if I can pull you in for this role. So... The film was <laughs> Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I went to the audition, and it was one of those auditions where I'm, I'm a bumbling lawyer for, for Xavier Hollander. And I'm the one that always gets her girls out of jail. And that, so, so, and I remember I, I had a briefcase in, in real life, because I was kind of nerdy. And, and, and I remember I, was, I, that was cool back then. I had, and you know, oh, one of those yeah. square briefcases and I, and I came in little glasses and I'm doing the audition scene and they're all in the room. And I remember I had planned at one point to take something out of my briefcase. Well, I somehow forgot to lock it or something. And when I went to pull it out, everything fell out all over the floor. <laughs> so I'm on the floor and I'm still saying my lines. I'm scrambling, putting my shit back in and they're laughing and I'm thinking, Wow, an accident has actually made them laugh. Exactly. And and um, I got the role, and I, I found out later, getting back to your story, that originally they had offered the role to Fred Grandy. But apparently at that point in his life, uh, he was starting to get political aspirations of thinking of leaving Hollywood and going back and to Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's yeah, from. I think so. Yeah, to Ohio. run To run for... for um, office there so I now when I look back in retrospect I'm thinking it's because he didn't want to be associated with that type of material yeah to be you know technically if it was released today it would be a hard R rated movie but at the time it was a little more risque I don't know what he got a rating of but yeah it was adult fair but well we didn't have PG-13 at the time but not it was it was but G P G R X, that was it. Yeah, there was there was you know there were some sexual situa- situations. Of course, some of those sexual situations were with um, you know uh, Adam Adam West, mm-hmm. Batman, <laughs> and uh, you know, to me personally, it was kind of silly looking. But <laughs> did you get any time with Adam yeah, West? Yes, yes, and he has a filthy mouth. 
Then I actually kind of believe. Uh, but in a very funny, he's a very funny layback guy. And But just, oh my God, he would come out with the, say the filthiest things. Uh, he drove up in a car too that looked like a Batmobile. He drove Doesn't around surprise me. So he didn't just come from an appearance? I'm surprised he yeah, didn't try to get the Batmobile. I just um, came from my other job. Hold on. Well, at the yeah. time, that's what he yeah. did to make ends meet. You know? Well, that's what most actors still do. I mean, they'll... Which is funny because if you hear him on anything now, a podcast or, mm-hmm. or video or something, he'll be a little risque, but he'll never you'll never hear him say anything dirty. Well, that's because well, he's the Batman. Because he's very conscious of that. He's very conscious. Yeah, and this obviously was on the set, and you know, nobody was recording at the time, but uh, but but a very nice guy, fun guy, and, and Chris Lemon. Was mm-hmm. also in that um, Jack Lemmon's. That was oh, wow. pretty early for him, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, he had just he had been on a regular TV series. I can't remember the name of it. Um, uh, Phil Silvers. Phil Silvers was in it. I had, oh, had wow. scenes Phil with Silvers. Phil Silvers, who who at that time uh, was in a wheelchair. So that's why all his scenes in that are, are in a wheelchair because he really was in a wheelchair. But but makes but, life easier. Makes life easier. <laughs> all right, we need you to stand for this one. Really. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you're going to convince Phil Silvers to stand out of his wheelchair. Yeah. But, uh, no, it was a wild experience. I had never, I'd never done TV or film before, and here, here I had a co-starring role. So I had a, quite a few scenes. But two people who had quite a following, too. I mean... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, we, yeah, Martine Beswick, I guess she's got a following, too, I, who played Happy Hooker, uh, or Xavier Hollander. Because uh, she did like One Million Years B.C. with Jane Fonda. and uh, I saw that movie. And uh, she also was a villainess in one of the uh, James Bond films. Oh, can, oh, that, that's his get, job. I can get that. Just, uh, everybody was great. I, it, just, it was just, just some very... I'd never been in a, on a set before. And, and my very first scene, it, it took place outside of a courthouse because I'd just gotten her and her girls out of jail. So I literally, we had to walk down some courthouse steps and then stop at a certain point. She was on like, Fantasy Island. Hey! And, and they had like, you know, like, I don't know, they had a, a sandbag or something there. And said, okay, we need to walk here. And when you say your last line, because it was kind of a bit of a conversation, the, the conversation needs to stop right there. Right. So at I'm, the sandbag. At the sandbag. And I'm like, oh my God, now I have to think, you know, pace this in a way so that the very last line is right there. And that, you Funny know, Huh? Thunderball. Oh, okay. Thunderball. Yeah, yeah. So if you ever, if you ever, by chance, see it, it is, you, it's available. I guarantee you, everybody our age has seen that movie. I, I gotta say, I haven't seen the Happy Hooker. Yeah. Because and that's where I remember it because we had gotten cable right there. In the nineteen eighty. My first rated R was uh, Blues Brothers. And that was one of the movies they would show Loved it. after 10 yeah. on Showtime. And they had a, the specific <laughs> warning. The, the warning would come up and says, uh, this is movies for adults, adults, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a rated R. And so you know the only people watching were kids. 13, you know, yeah, <laughs> 10 to 13-year-olds. Yeah. Well, one, one thing about Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood I learned early on is how an editor can make or break you. One of my scenes in the film... I'm having a conversation with Xaviera and the girls and they cut it in a way so that a line that had originally been saying to Xaviera was now being directed to another character. And it made, when I watch it now, it makes me look like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like my reaction is not 
jiving with the line. Right. And I went, it's the editor. Because that was not originally the way it was. He's always the editor. Yeah, yes. editors can make or break you, really make you look like an idiot or make you look wonderful. That's why we pay Harvey a lot of money. <laughs> and then there was another scene at, at we shot at LAX where they said that I was I was done for the day. So a couple of the girls and, and the, the hookers were there, and we went up to the lounge. We were just throwing them back because they're going to drive me back. And then all of a sudden they went, we decided to put you in a scene. Oh, and, I, no. and I'm already drunk. Which would and normally so, be great news for an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what do I have to do? And they said, well, the the, the, car, the limos of the girls are going to take off. We're going to have a scene where they're all getting in the car and they're, and they're taking off. And then they've left you. And you just come running out into the street. We're going to have you full of bags all over you. And you have to go, hey, wait for me. And then run behind the limos. <laughs> Chasing after that. It's all, so. it's all hand-eye coordination. We fine. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. So I'm actually drunk in that scene. <laughs> now I gotta watch it <laughs> just for this. So. See, was... you, you didn't trip, did you? Or no, okay. no. I actually, thank God, stayed upright the entire time. That's good. The time. So you know, I was going through your IMDb last night. Uh huh. And I come across an entry, and I'm like, if my mother were still alive. And she found out this tidbit of information. Ah. She would finally be proud of the work I've been doing. <laughs> I think I know which one you're talking about. No, no, you probably don't. <laughs> Back in the 80s, I mean, there were shows that we watched religiously as a yeah. family. One of which was Matt Houston. <gasps> oh my gosh! My, like, my, really? my, my mother, show, yes. oh my mother, adored gosh. Matt Houston. <gasps> so Lee, few people know it. Lee Horsley. That's right. That was a man, as far as my mom was concerned. If I could tell mom, I worked with somebody who was on Matt Houston, <laughs> she would finally go, I'm so proud. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to like, at least you're not working with dogs. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> that, that particular audition, that's back when there were live auditions. There yeah. was no taping. And um, when I went in for that and I was looking at the script, I mean... I don't know if you've ever seen this, the particular one. It's called Stop the Presses. I've seen it when it aired. Yeah. I just haven't it, seen it since. It was so. the one where uh, Murray Hamilton, a great actor, you would know him. He was like the mayor in Jaws. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's just. He had the suit. Yeah. So he's. Yeah. He had the suit so, with all the anchors. And he, he had a suit. And he, in this, in this uh, particular episode, Stop the Presses, um, he was like the head of like a National Enquirer type tabloid and he had written really nasty stuff about people and uh apparently people are trying to kill him so that's sort of the gist and and i was a wish fulfillment i was his male secretary so i'm reading this i'm reading this role i'm looking at it and and um there's one scene where he he he's going off on somebody then he looks at me and he says so how do you think i did and i said Oh, you were masterful, sir. And I went, masterful? Smithers. He's playing so Smithers. I was like, hmm. So, so again, getting back to relationships, I thought to myself, okay, you're his personal secretary. This is a gay thing happening. So so you actually, everything <laughs> you Los say, Angeles? Everything you no. say, to him, say to him as if you're in love with him. So that's how I, I auditioned. And it got me the role. And it was very interesting, too, because when I got on the set with Murray Hamilton, I, I discussed this with him, and he went, works for me. And so he played up on it, too. 
So like he's like, you know, he's the he's the mm guy, you know, and I'm like yeah. the little. He's the butcher. <laughs> he's the butcher. Yeah, he's the butcher. Let's put it out. And and so, uh, but yeah, in in that scene was um, Heather Locklear. Wow, was oh, wow. in my scene. That's this was when she was still on what was the police show? T.J. Hooker. T.J. Yeah. T.J. Hooker. Hooker. So it's, she had the. The wings, the wings, just sweet and young. She had to have a. I remember they brought her a fuzzy, furry little dog. Our scene was outdoors. It was in Malibu at this gorgeous house around a pool, but it was hotter than hell. And plus, they put all the um, the lights, the screens, yeah, and the lights. Yeah. It was just we were baking. They just radiate the heat at you. Oh, this is gonna be a little warm. And she had this like this hairy little dog that was sweat all over her, and she was like uh, just a pro. She did care. Uh, there was also. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the other people's names. So there were quite a few people, famous other people in the scene with me. Herb Edelman was in it? Herb Edelman. Herb Edelman. He played um, uh, B. Arthur's husband, ex-husband on Maud. Yeah. I mean on um, Golden Girls. Girls. Uh, George Weiner was in that episode. And um, uh, you're not, who's the, you're missing the one person who's missing with us. Bradford Dillman? Yes, Bradford Dillman. I was gonna tell you. Oh yeah, so so I just wasn't feeling so hot the first day we shot, but that was fine. I had a lot to do that day. The second scene wasn't so much. I had to like open the door, and welcome them in, or something. Um, well, I woke up the next morning. I went into the shower. I got out of it and I fainted. Oh God! I woke up and I went. This is not like a regular job. You have to be on the set. I right. mean, there's just like uh, there's you can't no call calling in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of. To this day, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I did it. I, I got to the location. I had to get to where they would take us to the van to Malibu, and uh, I was so sick. And there's always a nurse on on the set, and so she just said, she said, stay in your trailer. You know, just I'll come get you when it's time. So. I got up and would just do my scene and then I would just go lay back down again. And uh, yeah, I had a really bad case of the flu. Oh, wow. I was sick for over a week after that. You got so, from George Weiner. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> Never trusted that guy. It is just no fun being sick on the set. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure people want to be sympathetic, but they just don't have the time to do it. No, no. Unfortunately, hopefully I didn't infect anybody else while I was on the set. <laughs> the show got on the air. So. The show got on the air. But, uh, so yeah. sure everybody was fine. So, And if they weren't, they did what you did. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I'm, I'm very, very happy that you know about Matt Houston. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Is, that was, they've only released one season on DVD, too. as far as I know. I haven't looked recently. Mm-hmm. But I've never found it in the store. But I always want to go back and watch it, because... It was such a big thing for my mom, and mm-hmm. of course, the whole family has watched it. You're right. Because I think Magnum was on yeah, that Magnum, same stretch. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and we didn't watch that. No, we watched We Magnum. watched the guy we from Texas. Growing up, I, I subscribed to Car and Driver and Motor Trend. All mm-hmm. that. So, mine was Magnum P.I. Uh, Hardcastle McCormick. Hardcastle McCormick. Anything with a really kick-ass car. What about Knight Rider? Uh, yeah, when that came on, I was a big Knight Rider fan. And then, of course, you know, the movie Back to the Future. That, mm-hmm. So. One of the that I have to touch on, and we'll go back to more general stuff, but um, you got to start with one of my favorite actors on Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. B. Arthur. B. Arthur. We love the B. Arthur. You love the B. Arthur. I love the Betty White. I think Betty White's in the scene as well. Yes, yes. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. Um, yeah, I what I, I had a co-starring role in that, and I shot that in um, 
like like September of '87. Then it aired in January of '88. And um, for me, it was the one project I've done that that has always felt the closest to theater because it was a sitcom format. Mm-hmm. There was three camera setup. Three, yeah, three camera setup. Um, there were th- actually three sets for this particular one. We did the the old Desilu Studios where I Love Lucy was shot, and and it just felt like a set. And then you're and there was audience on this side, right? And you rehearsed it for we we, we read the script on a Monday morning, and then you. You know, every day you read, have rewrites, and then you rehearsed it for four, basically five days, and then on the fifth day you shot it twice, like I think at one o'clock and five p.m. in front of a live audience, and they would take the best of both. So it felt like theater to me. Um, so yes, I was with them for five days, uh, and, all, and all my scenes were with them. So I'm the Arthur fan. He's a Betty White fan. I mean, I like Betty White too, but I grew, I grew up watching Maud. Well, I saw too. No, I did too. I grew up. Me too. Me too. I grew up watching all that too. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, yeah. Betty. And my and my impression was, you know, I know the actors are actors, but for some reason I figured Betty White would be more like her character in um, Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be more wrong. Uh, Betty White is just unbelievably sweet. Um, as you know, when you're on these these sets, they cater it. Right. You know, so I remember that the first the first read through. You know, we're sitting in a, in a conference room, and uh, there's a spread on one side, and Betty White walks in with a cake, <laughs> and she says, "I baked everybody a cake." She plops it down with the rest of the food. I mean, you know, I was like, "Who bakes a cake when you've got all this?" I mean, that's just kind of personal. Betty White. Betty White. <laughs> and and we'd had a break, and I was over there, and there was a um, a bagel. And they had a knife, and I'm trying to cut it. And when I was, I sliced my finger. And Betty White saw this. She came to the rescue. She instantly had the napkin. She was like mothering me. You know, that's 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 the kind of person she is. She is. Um, B. Arthur was a little more, I would say, standoffish. Mm-hmm. She was a little more to herself. Um, she, one interesting thing she did, I guess I could talk about this now that she's dead. <laughs> okay, the Desilu Studios, concrete floors. I mean, right, it's, right. even though we were shooting it in September, those floors are chilly. Mm-hmm. She always walked around barefoot. Oh, I would have done the same thing. She totally walked around barefoot. Until we actually had to put costumes on, she was barefoot the entire time. Just, just the way she worked. So, um, she's really like tall, though, isn't she? She's very tall. Yeah, um, it was. We, and so, uh, there was one point where we were like, you know, taking a break and sitting and waiting for him to do something. It was maybe like the third day in or something. And I just turned to her one day and I just said, Do you ever miss Broadway? And she lit up. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I, hit, I hit whatever button it was that got her to want to talk to me. And so, yes, yeah, so we had a, a very brief exchange there, but but pretty much she was, you know, to herself. Um, who's the other characters? Um, Rue McClanahan. Rue McClanahan. She and I had a friend in common, and the same with Estelle Getty. Thank you. I was thinking Esther Williams for some reason. <laughs> so I was. <laughs> That's not right at all. So I was able to break the ice with both of those because I had, I, we had friends in common. Did you have scenes with either of them? All of them. All of them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my scenes were with all of them. I think when when you go on the show, you, you don't deal with just one. 
I think they, well, yeah. I think it was a it was a game show. It was yeah yeah yeah. Uh, it was uh, the scene. The episode's called "Grab That Dough," and uh, the girls are on a game show. They go to Hollywood to be on a game show, which is called "Grab That Dough." And uh, it's the game show is four contestants against four contestants, so they naturally are going to be the four against these other four strangers. So like a, a family feud. Kind yes, of like a family feud kind of situation, right? And I probably and, saw the episode. It's been so long. Yeah, a lot of people know this episode for some reason. It's a very actually, I didn't watch Golden Girls a lot. I personally didn't like it that much, but this one was well written. Well, my mother and grandmother loved it, so. So, so what happens is they get on the set and uh, Rue McClanahan's character. Uh, it's so, right. Sophia was... <laughs> Blanche. Blanche. Blanche, um, Blanche overhears that there's two other contestants here, uh, the Kaplan brothers, that have won over $50,000 in game show prizes and money. And so what she wants to do, she wants to, to boot Sophia... And Rose and take on the Kaplan brothers <laughs> and let them be the partners. So then it ends up being the Kaplan brothers, uh, Dorothy and Blanche against Sophia, Rose, and two strangers. And Sophia and Rose are pissed. <laughs> so anyway, so what happens in the scene Sophia is... Sophia pissed? No. <laughs> so what happens is, you know, that the questions start, I'm answering them all wrong. I'm actually an idiot. <laughs> oh, you're one of the Kaplan brothers. I'm one of the Kaplan. I'm Willard. And, and, and in fact, she has a line where I say something and Dorothy turns to me and says, I even, it's even difficult for me to say it now without smiling because if you've ever had B. Arthur say a line to you, her comic timing is amazing because she'd have to turn to me. I, 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 uh, I say something wrong. I hit the buzzer and I, and I, I give the wrong answer. And, um, she turns to me and she says, Willard, don't ever touch your buzzer again. <laughs> and her deadpan expression, I had trouble during rehearsals keeping a straight face. <laughs> uh, and which is which for me is I'm pretty good at keeping a straight face. But to be around that type of comic genius, <laughs> in all their cases, all four of them, uh, was was really good. Bianca was a friar too. I think yeah, Betty she White was may have been too. Yeah, Betty White was a friar. Is a friar. Is well, yeah, yes. Because she was at the all the awesome. Friars Club roasts. She's dirty. Oh, she's dirty. Who you talking about? Betty. Well, and Rue McClanahan had a few singers too on the, you know, on the I imagine set. so. But like you said, Betty White's like America's grandma, so everybody thinks of her. Oh, she's a sweet little mm-hmm. lady. And, oh gosh, she's so dirty. Yeah, I don't. That's so I, funny. I don't remember that about her. Oh, well, when she does the roasts. Okay, then she could get. She those. just. Yeah, just lets yeah. it go, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they used to say about going to the Friars Club, was that most people just went to hear Walter Cronkite use foul language. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you didn't know that side of him. And and uh, one day we're you know rehearsing, and um, these two women are coming towards me, and I'm looking at one of them. Uh, uh, both are African American, and one of the African American women, her eyes were just. Which is beautiful, but her eyes were just stunning. Something about her, and so she pat. They passed by us, and I asked somebody. I said, "Wow, what a, what a gorgeous woman!" And they went, "That's Vanessa Williams." Oh wow! So, oh, uh, oh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> and the other woman she was with um, was at that time Vanessa Williams' sister-in-law. 
Oh, okay. So she was visiting her on the set because she had written our she had written our episode. So yeah, yeah. So uh, it's actually fairly interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. So we got to meet Venice Williams. Not meet meet her. Got to see her. Yeah, just pass by. Pass by me. Still, that's pretty wild. <laughs> wow. So um, and and also in one of the read throughs. Um, I think it was yeah, it was the first day when we when we were sitting around the table reading. Uh, Rue McClanahan's character Blanche had a line, and I wish to God I can remember what it was. She she says that something dirtily, something something very. I mean, the line was very explicit. Uh, I mean, we get past censors, but very explicit about right. Blanche's character mm-hmm. being a total slut. And she read the line, and she looked up, and she said, "That's even too much for Blanche." I, Blanche would not say that, and so they struck it. Oh wow! Oh, wow. So they had the apparently the veto power to be able to. I guess you kind of would have to give them that if it sounds in character, but way over the out of character. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna say that. Yeah, I'm not gonna say that, and I, she may have even said, I'm not gonna say that, and and there was no question. Nobody said, well, wait a minute, well, let's talk about it. no. It was gone. And this was the third season, so at that point, oh, not only were they established yeah. actresses, mm-hmm. they they knew the characters. And they've been, I mean, they've been working this for a while. I mean, yeah. They were established. And both Rue McClanahan and B. Arthur had come from Maud. And, right. Mm-hmm. So, so they knew what they were doing. Right. And stage. and I mean, they all knew. It's and, not like you're going to argue comedy with any of them. So. And the, the, the fourth person, um, Estelle Getty, I, yeah. I, met, I mentioned that I, we had a friend in common. I had, had done Broadway with her. and uh, But other than that, she was nice. But she she's also stayed to herself. She's the, the one that had the least amount of television time. Mm-hmm. All the others, even though they, the others had done theater, they'd been out of it for a while. They'd had their own sitcoms. It's the first time Estelle Getty been on a sitcom, as I recall. She was not, I don't think, used to having to learn mm-hmm. stuff so quickly. And also, now that I look back, Possibly, maybe her Alzheimer's was happening to her because I don't know if you know she ultimately died from Alzheimer's. Yeah, but she was always in a corner memorizing her lines huh. somewhere. And then um, when we were doing it live in front of the audience, she had this one particular line that she couldn't get, and the audience loved it. I was loved this. You know, oh my God, people made a mistake. Oh, it's great. So the director would you know stop the camera. Let's do it again. And you could tell Estelle was really getting rattled. She was really getting off. So by about the seventh time, she stopped having any inflection whatsoever on the particular line and just spit it out. And it was still funny. <laughs> it was still funny. But but uh, yeah, so... I think there's gas in the car. <laughs> <laughs> but you got that funny on one take. <laughs> so uh, anyway, she just seemed less experienced in that she was. The others, as far as having to memorize so many lines so quickly... Mm-hmm. Uh, which, got, I mean, it's got to be a lot different than yeah, stage work. Because, yeah, I don't think I could do the, TV. The setup is similar. You have an audience. You have yes, yes. But you're doing a script a week, and where you're doing a script. Yeah, a week. Whereas, whereas with a, with stage, you're doing one script. You're doing one script, which you uh, rehearsed for weeks. Right. Yeah, you rehearse for weeks, minimum three weeks. Yeah, and right. then you do it like every day on the you know or whatever three four times a week. Once a day. On the, once you know, a day, twice on Sunday. Yeah. But you know, for months, right? You might have out tryouts, right? Right, depending what it is, and yeah. that was that's the 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 
Well, they'd all done theater. Right. But but Estelle was the most recent to come to TV. So that, that quick memorization stuff is, uh, well, heck. I had to do an American Genius, as you see. I, I was stumbling. They had to take a break so I could go memorize a monologue. So, right, right. Um, Anything else that I have any... The no, Jack Parr show? Yeah, I don't see the Jack Parr show on his resume. So no, I was a little before my time. <laughs> <laughs> I was alive, but barely. <laughs> it's okay, I'm barely alive now. <laughs> I did get to see the Constantine episode. We, uh-huh. we actually cheated, we watched it after the fact. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It wasn't too much after the fact. Yeah, that's, that's interesting too, because again, it was edited down severely. I had I had lines in the second scene, they, they, they went... Bye bye. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was about much more close-ups of the the contacts. I those are custom fit contacts. I actually had to go get, go to an optometrist and get the full on, you know, check you for glaucoma before they would. Yeah. The contacts. But I you change your profile picture on Facebook mm-hmm. to that picture of you in the contacts. Yes, I did it the day, like the day of, because um, that cast director for Constantine does not like any photos up right. of of the stuff like like she also cast me in the nice guys and the only photo I put up of the nice guys was of my shoes um, so you know I want the cast director to like me so I don't post stuff I still think you need to pop those in every once in a while just like walk around the mall yeah, or something yeah unfortunately it took them away Aww. either they custom fit me yeah they can't fit anyone no, they're, else they're gonna throw them away they're gonna destroy exactly. them exactly but I think there's probably some you know liability issues that just would have been so funny just walking through the mall. It's right. not that like they're extended wear contacts either. No, no. Uh, and, and, but the thing is, I wouldn't need a seeing eye dog because it was it literally was like I had cataracts because really? it was foggy. We actually shot the scenes backwards from what you're seeing in the, yeah. the TV show. Yeah, but they do that a lot. So the, the first time we shot it, was it, we shot at night. And so they popped the contacts and I was like, I'm blind. <laughs> I cannot, it's dark. I cannot see. So I had to have, you know, they... Somebody put me in the van. They got me out of the van. They have to take my hand. You know, when they take me to get my mic'd up, they have to take my hand. So anyway, so so we're doing the scene. I'm in the pew. I, I could barely even see people around me. And the, But there was this young guy, that extra, sitting next to me. So we had a break for a second as they're setting up something. And he turns to me. He said, so how long have you been blind? <laughs> and I said, about an hour and a half. <laughs> he said, what? And I said, I'm not blind. And he went, but I saw them taking you out of the van. And, and this entire time, I said, no, I, I just can't see. <laughs> but I convinced him enough in my scene so far with my acting that I was a blind person. So let's see. There you go. That worked out You're great. You're just that, that good. I'm just that good. Well, it was interesting because the, the casting director uh, who, who cast me in that, I was also in a play at the time after she cast me and she came and saw the play. And afterwards, we were in the lobby talking. And it was the first time I had physically met her face to face. It's the first and, time I actually got to actually see her. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I auditioned on tape and it was based on the tape that I, I got this the part. And she was very adamant with me about studying blind people really she goes watch youtube she was really like on top of me about you know and then she even talked to my agent about it mentioned to my agent about how really wanted to do this blind thing to be truthful so i was like on youtube i was i mean i researched characters anyway but that I, one I, I was like they, they have a lot of blind people on youtube they do right. it talk about what it's like to be blind oh okay okay right. um yeah. I, I, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. No, so no um, it was 
really put the fear of God in me. So I just talked to your agent about it. I was like, I gave him homework. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so I, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it paid off with, oh, based yes. on what that extra felt. So. so when you go on a show like Constantine, which Constantine has a lot of backstory to the character. And, and it's a great comic book. The character in the TV show is not quite the same. He's as, closer to the book than the movie well, was. Yeah, but he doesn't have the whole connection of the Swamp thing. And oh, the right. Yeah, no. Built in. But when they give you a show that has that all this background, do they go in and tell you, hey, this is what this is all about? Or do they just hand you the script and say... Hey. Yeah, they, it, it's up to you as the... In, in any audition, I uh, I go and do my research, not only on, on what, what it's about, but who's been cast so far, who is the director of the particular scene you're going to be doing, because you want to see what else has he done in his past, because that would kind of give you a sense of his style, mm -hmm. his directorial style. It's like all he's done is commercials. You're like, oh. Yeah, well then you kind of know. If, if all he's done is like, you know, well, if, you know if, he, if he's Marvel Comics. If he's done a whole bunch of music videos, yeah. then you can pretty much be sure that you're going to be in for a lot of quick takes and, and dancing and <laughs> multi-angle coverage and that sort of thing because he's going to be used to quick edits and right, right. dynamic well, film movement. Or, or, or is the kind of drama he's done more of a hyper drama? <clears throat> mm -hmm. You know, like, like, like you find in comic book kind of stuff. So, right. so it kind of gives you a, a feel. Even though you're still doing the character truthfully, you, you keep that in mind. So, um, Do you find it helpful to go back and, like, like Constantine, the character has a long history in the comics, and he came out in the early 80s? Something like, mm -hmm. that? Something like that. He was early, introduced early to Swamp Thing um, what's his name's Ron Byrne? Yeah. Um, anyway. Do you find it helpful to go back and see where the characters come from and all that stuff? Or do you just concentrate on the character itself? Yeah, with Constantine, it was a little different. I, I really concentrated. My scene, even though uh, Matt, who, who plays Constantine, and the, the woman who's his sidekick, I can't, I'm forgetting her name. Um, Me too. She, th they are in my scene. Mm -hmm. But they were always sitting in the back, mm -hmm. so all their yeah, conversations. They're watching. They were watching, and they had some dialogue <laughs> back there. But I would, I never interacted with them directly. So in that particular case, I concentrated on what was going on in that particular scene. Because it was a pretty heightened scene, that, that kind of church revival, mm -hmm. snake handling. He's going to heal me on my blindness. I could really, so I really concentrated on what what was going on in that particular scene, and not necessarily how it reflected on the whole history of Constantine. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if I'd had a scene with him like I was an angel or something, then yes, I think I would have done more of my history on Constantine. I mean, I knew what Constantine was, but... Yeah. but uh, it I don't know if it's... Is it helpful to, to know where the whole... You know, the whole story arc comes from when you're doing a part like that? Or is, well, it might or be... Or something you don't really want to concentrate on because... It's, I know, think if it's going to be a recurring role or recurring scene or theme yeah, for several I can episodes, see knowing more then. The knowing more then. My my scene was just so specific to the church and what was going on. My my little world was the church. Mm -hmm. That's really all my world was in, in both my scenes. So I really didn't have to. It's very religious. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. It's weird you should say that because I have done so many scenes recently where I'm in a church. Or I'm a dying patient who 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 finds Jesus at the end of his life. I mean, it's I'm crucified. Just, so I'm going. What is what's going on here? Why is you know? <laughs> I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself a religious. I consider myself a spiritual person, but not a religious person. So, so I'm just. just so you got it. And the I church go for a lot of, and arguments. And I go up for a lot of priest so, roles too. Th there you go. Yeah, yeah. You, you can pull a priest. Yeah, yeah. 
I end up a lot of times, although what I liked about Constantine was it was, you know, he was Kentucky, yeah. backwoods country person. I am starting to get more blue collar roles, which I'm ecstatic about because, you know, I like being, I like variety. But yeah, if you were to ask me what I normally go up for, lawyers, priests, judges, doctors, you know, more of the white collar professional kinds. But so, but except, except like a, Constantine was one thing. Whitewater, uh, it's a really terrific film. I, I shot that uh, last, I want to say October. It's going to be debuting at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, cool. And then uh, I think February 15th it's being released. It's based on a, um, a children's book that's based on an actual story with, the, with this man back in, um, he lived in Opelika, Alabama, back in the, mm-hmm. the early 60s. And it was back when there were whites only fountain and you know coloreds only mm-hmm. fountains and so he as a nine-year-old he thought that there was something special about the white water and his goal was his quest was to be able to drink water from the white fountain the white fountain so that's that's what the story's about and in that one I, again i was not cast as a white collar person i was cast as basically the town drunk all right he's a little bit perverse it's a, it's a little bit of uh, perceived, uh, what can I say, um, well, the, the, the little boy who's the lead character, um, I, I, I try to force Moonshine down his throat at one point, telling him it's white water. It's a, little, it's a bit perverse. But uh, um, anyway. It's a character role. Yes. It, it, was one, it was one of those situations where we're in a, it takes a place in a bar. He's come, the little boy's run away from home. His father's a jazz musician. Played by Lorenz Tate, and uh, so he's come to the, the club, the jazz club, where his dad's playing. And so the owner says, "Oh, honey, he's doing his, you know, his thing right now. But you just sit right here, and you know, I'll feed you, and you know." And I, I notice all this, and I go over to him, and I, I and I say, "So you're looking for some white water? I got, I got your white water." And I'm doing this kind of southern accent. I got your white water out here, and very uh, dirtily. And so yeah, very uh, and so. So and so in the scene, the way it was written, it says, I, I have the bottle, it's like a beer or something, sitting on the table, and the little boy picks it up and starts to sip it, and then his father, Lorenz Tate, comes around the corner and catches before he's able to drink it. So we start to do the scene, and the director says, Charles, I want you to pick the bottle up and force it down his throat. <laughs> So now it's like it's like a little. So it turns I want you to assault this little boy. Yeah, yeah. So I and 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 indeed, I mean, to me, it was, it was, it was getting on the, the. I mean, why is he trying to get a little boy drunk? You know, you can kind of go through your mind. What's going on there? Yeah, a little dark. So, as the character, I thought, what the hell? I'm going to go that way. So um, when I, it'll be interesting. I have not seen the footage, but it'll be interesting to see if if the perversity factor comes over and then Lorenz Tate comes and threatens to kick my ass um, which is uh, fine yeah which is which is <laughs> justified yeah. but but again it was not a, it was not a white collar role um, and just an interesting backstory on that one I'd auditioned for two different roles in that film uh, both on tape and then when um, my agent called and said you've got the role I went oh great which one did I get and she said well, actually, they combined your role with one that you did audition for and one that you didn't audition for. So they're combining the two. 
So now you have two scenes. I went, great. I said, so what's the scene? I mean, what's the character they combined me with that I didn't audition for? And they went, the town drunk. <laughs> I, said, I said, so. So they took two characters and made it one. Yes. That's kind of cool. Two Thank characters made it one. So so I had to look. In the, and he has two different scenes. And so uh, for me, I had to make two disparate characters seem like the same character. I had right. the same Train right. of thought, so it didn't look like what's he doing in this scene versus the, he's too, acting like he's. Well, he's a lawyer here, and he's, he's a, a drunk there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So well, um, one thing he's drunk, one thing he's not. So I, and I and I thought, wow, that's pretty brave of the director because he didn't see me play drunk, right? You know, and there's some people that can't play drunk; they overdo it. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I can play drunk. I mean, I I, I know how to do it. So. I was, a lot of experience. I've, I've had a lot of experience. Uh, I don't know if you have you ever heard of a a, a a mockumentary about twenty years ago called Fear of Black Hat. Yes, I I, I never saw it, but I had heard right. Yeah, and and uh, Rusty Cunliffe, who starred in that, is also director of of this. Oh, cool! So he's done like Wanda Sykes show. Yeah, and, uh, what a what a terrific. Director. I saw that. Yeah, and um, and um, oh, what's the other guy? Which was funny. Uh, Chappelle show. Oh God! Um, oh my gosh! Uh, anyway, he uh, what what a fun set. I mean, I, I think a director can really make a set feel tense or make it feel fun. And and yes, Rusty, yeah, Rusty is in Don't in the fun. <laughs> I mean, you know how much tension a director can be under having to all these parts. And um, he just took with a plum. Like for example, my very first scene. The first day I got on the set is supposed to take place in the afternoon on the street. A guy faints, and I and I call for help, and they splash, they get water from the white zone leaf fountain and splash it on him. And the little boy observes this and thinks, "Wow, the white water magically made this person revive." So it was a real, it was a really cute scene. So I get there, like they they say, get there about four in the afternoon. I thought, okay, but you know, a sunset in about six or seven. Maybe they're like really ahead of schedule here. I get there, the sun's going down. And so the assistant director comes up to me and said, um, can you come back tomorrow? And I went, no, I, I, I just can't. I can't come back tomorrow. And so he's asking something else to do. And she says, okay, hold on. <laughs> so she goes away. It's now dark outside. And so she comes back. She goes, well, Rusty has decided he's going to make up a scene and put you in it. Oh, gee. So come on. <clears throat> so so I get over to the set and uh, I'm opposite Lori Beth Sykes, who's on Resurrection, uh, and um, he says, "Okay, well, well, Lori, you're gonna say blah blah blah, and Charles, you're gonna say blah blah blah, and then you're gonna point to her son who's in the soda shop, uh, sitting next to a black boy having ice cream, and, the, and then Lori, you're gonna be like, oh my God, and you're gonna walk out there to take the kid away. Right. So it was pretty much." Dialogue on the spot. Let's shoot it. Let's go. You know, it was it, it, he was just that kind of casual kind of okay. We couldn't shoot that other scene because damn, I really really wanted to hear you. You know, calling for help, but hey, you know, just he just would go with the flow. Um, it's weird that they wanted you there so late. Yes, and for an and then you got there and they're like, yeah, and then it got dark. Yeah, yeah. well, if you look to the Weather reports says it gets dark at a certain time. Right, right, right. And they did. They were behind because because the weather that the day before had screwed them up. So I ah. think, you know, just just didn't quite have all the timing right. And then the 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 second day I Damn went. Mother Nature. 
The second day I was went with the, the perverse Sunrise Sunset. Feed the boy boo scene. Um at one point I'm looking up and Rusty has found a a woman's wig and he decides just to put it on his head and direct the rest of the scenes with in a woman's wig. In fact, I have, well, I have a photo of him. Uh, I, I think it's on IMDb where you'll see him. He's got That's pretty a funny. woman's pageboy wig on. It's like he just, I saw they looked up and he had this wig on. <laughs> I'm bored. Yeah, I'm All bored. Right, so Let's go. <laughs> That's the kind of director he was. He well, those come in really two good. categories. Those come in the, the kind that they're very confident in what they're doing and are very capable. And then there comes the ones that are. They're happy-go-lucky, and they never get their movie finished. <laughs> yeah, but he, they got so. it finished. They got it finished on time, and you know, and apparently enough to be able to get it at Sundance and then release it February 15th. So. That's cool. We know somebody famous. <laughs> <laughs> See? He was all over the place. I have to say that having Mr. Green here has been a great change of pace and has kept the boys busy trying to get everything just right. It's good to see that they really are dedicated. Oh well, here we go folks. Next week we have more of Mr. Green's amazing life. So, tune in for, well, more. For Chris, Larry, Harvey and Mr. Charles Green, I'm Tina saying, duct tape turns no, no, no into mm, mm, mm. Oh, that's terrible! I know several people famous. Only one returns my call. <laughs> <laughs> I know, stop calling me. This episode of Achieving Reality, the podcast, has been brought to you by Scented Roman Candles. Are your celebrations a little boring? Do you love scented candles? Well, who doesn't? Well, back up, boyo. AR products are hitting all the bases this time. Scented Roman candles. Light one of these bad boys and it's a fresh scented party. Each candle is made of different complementary scents and a super burst of color. Hell, you can have walls of color and scent with your drunk friends if you want to. Scented Roman candles. They bring life to any party. AR Products is not responsible for loss of limbs, life, or homes. AR Products recommends using these in a mature way and in a well-ventilated area.